Good morning. How are you? Would you welcome my friend Jen? Hello. All right. Um, so we are starting a very short series. This is probably the shortest series we've ever done um, called Blind Spot. And uh, we wanted to kick it off with, I wanted to kick it off with you guys hearing um, Jen's story. Um, Jen is from, uh, grew up in the country of Yugoslavia. And um, <laughs> I have a great accent. <laughs> Actually, she grew up in the country of Texas. Um, she is not from uh, Jamestown. You've been here, what, a couple years now? Two years in July, yeah. And uh, kind of. Is it not on? Is it on? Hello, hello. In the middle. Kind of wiggled her way in. Uh, her family. She's got a beautiful family. I'm sure you've met Jen and her husband Corey and all five of their kids running around. Um, it's been neat getting to know them. But in fact, I I knew Jen and Jen's a friend and their family is friends of ours of our family. And uh, a few, well, it was probably a couple months ago. Um, Carol, who is working with um, our Conduit kids, the, o- the older group, uh, the green group, she was bringing different people in to share their testimony, to, s- to share their story. And I, th- I thought I knew, you know, like bits and pieces of Jen's story. And, and Carol came up to me, and she's like, hey, um, have you heard Jen's story? I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, it is unbelievable. It's amazing. And just the, the effects that had in that classroom then she, when, when Jen shared her story with those kids um, and how it impacted them. And I thought, man, maybe there's something here. And I, and I know every person's story matters. Every one of your stories matter. And, and, and all diverse, all different, all... Um, there's different things you can draw out of each one of our stories. But I thought today would be good to just have Jen share a little bit about about your story, about where you've been, um, where you're from, um, not just the country of Texas, but what, what was life like, I guess, growing up um, as Jen? Okay. Yeah, go for it. Okay, well, thank you guys for letting me share. Is this in the right place? I think so. Sounds okay. Sounds good to me. Okay. Um, like you said, my name is Jen Daniels, and it sounds so loud to me. Echoey. Yeah, it's echoey. Um, I grew up in a very small town in Texas, really similar in size to this one, actually. It was a lake town, just like Chautauqua is. Um, I have a, had a single mother. She passed away last May, and uh, she worked really hard, really hard her whole life, but we didn't have much. Um, I became a Christian in college in December of 2001, and uh, prior to that, I didn't have a whole lot of religious experience. My mom... Um, raised me to be open-minded, we'll just say that. So um, I am the youngest of five as well. I know I have five kids, but my dynamic growing up was very different. I have a brother who's 55, and all of my other siblings are closer in age to him. So I did not grow up knowing any of them. My three oldest brothers were um, taken from my mother when she was young. She was 18 when she had my oldest brother. And so I didn't really know them growing up. They lived in Washington, and then I had a sister who ran away from home when she was 16, and I was six. So I didn't really have any memory of growing up with her either. Um, 
And I think, honestly, by the time I came along, I think my mom was a little bored of parenting. I know that sounds crazy, but, um, you know, she'd been a parent for a long time, and so, and I was a good girl. I didn't get into trouble, and I didn't do anything wrong. I, like, really wanted to please her. So I think she kind of just checked out a little bit and knew, like, I was good. I'd take care of myself, you know. So we had a lot of emotional distance between me and my mom. And uh, that kind of caused me to really want to make her happy and please her. And so there was a point in my life where, so I lived on a dirt road in a small little community. Um, I lived in a one-bedroom trailer where my mom and I shared a bedroom. And everybody on our street was hardworking, just trying to make ends meet. Um, but nobody had a lot and there weren't a lot of educated people where I grew up either and there was a neighbor down the street who just wasn't a good man and so I remember when I told my mom that he was molesting me and other children in our neighborhood she didn't believe me she thought I was making it up to get attention and I think that that was the point where I really realized how much of a people pleaser I needed to be because if she wouldn't believe me that something bad happened then I must not be doing things right I must not be good enough um, so that really kind of set things in motion for me to always be seeking affection from people mm -hmm. um, she was an atheist she lost her dad when she was 12 so I think she didn't have anything to hold on to um, as far as keeping us centered. And I always was looking for something. I was always seeking something. And I didn't know at the time as a kid that it was God because God wasn't in my life. But I saw these other people that had something that looked solid. And I couldn't put my finger on it, what it was. Um, but when you grow up surrounded by poverty, and it's all you know, and it's so normal to you, you don't you don't think there's a way out. You don't think that you could have anything different. And so I just, I grew up feeling like everybody looked at me as trailer trash and I would never be anything but that. Um, and so I never really reached out for anything else. Mm -hmm. So at that point, your, your siblings are gone, you're alone, trying to seek out help for what's been done to you and just seeking attention and seeking love. And seeking light, um, but not necessarily finding it yet. Um, what began to change, I think, at that mo moment, you were greeted by, by a family, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I always did academically well um, as a young child, and so I kind of focused on that in my life, but I didn't really have a lot of friendships because People, I think, looked at me as a kid and saw, like, I wore, you know, dirty clothes a lot, and usually I had band t-shirts on, because that's what Goodwill had, honestly, and... Nirvana, um, right? What? Nirvana, right? Nirvana, yeah, <laughs> they are still my favorite, sorry. Um, but, I know, it's not very holy. Um, but, so, and my mom smoked, and so I always smelled like cigarettes, and I think that just kind of turned people off from me, and... I just never really had a lot of close companions because I think people's families were like, eh, I don't think I want my kids hanging out with that girl. So there was this family that moved into town. They were a really good, solid family, and they had three daughters. One of them was my age, and she was put in my um, like gifted and talented school class or whatever. And so when she came, I latched onto her because I didn't have friendships, and she didn't know anything about me yet. 
So she didn't really have a preconceived idea of me being a bad kid, and we became really good friends. And I think what changed my mind about God from what my mom had been teaching me um, was her family. So her family was very well-to-do. They were doctors and businessmen, and, um, but they didn't see the outside of me. They saw that I loved their daughter and was their, her friend and really worked hard to be a good friend to her. And so they welcomed me into their home every weekend from Friday through Sunday um, for years. I would spend the whole weekend at their house. I would work in their barn and pick stalls, and they taught me how to ride a horse, and they just loved me and welcomed me into their life and showed me a picture of what a good family looked like, a family where the husband and wife loved each other, and even though they didn't always get along, they showed me that too. They showed me forgiveness when you have hurt someone. Um, and so they invested a lot of time in me, and every Sunday before they would take me home, they took me to church. Uh, they were Lutheran, and so it was in the middle of this service of like recitations and bowing and all these rhythms that I didn't understand that I started realizing, like, I think there's something in the center of this, like this good family and this church thing, but I still didn't really know what it was, but I wanted to, and I remember praying on my own a lot, um, not really knowing how to do what it to or <laughs> what yeah. to say, but I think that was, you know, I just wonder sometimes, like, what if they had just not seen me, you know, what if they had seen this little girl that was dirty and smelly and from a part of town that they would never have gone to, what if they had just seen that and decided not to invest in me, how different my life would have been. They could have easily turned a blind eye and known that their daughter would make other friends, mm -hmm. but they didn't they, choose to do that. They probably didn't have like a family meeting to say, okay, this girl <laughs> smells, she wears Nirvana t-shirts, and she's <laughs> this, this, and this. Let's, let's put a program together to try to reach her. Um, we'll put her to work in the barn. and that kind of, None of that, probably. It was just who they were, right? Yeah. Um, they saw what maybe most people didn't see, um, they saw you, right? Yeah, I, I was able to write them a letter for their 50th wedding anniversary, and what I told them in that letter was, I realized now, after becoming a Christian years later, they never got to see the fruition of the work they did in my life because I was doing good things at school. I was really academically excellent and soccer team captain and all these good things at school, but because I was, you know, in a poor family, I worked. I worked full-time, um, even in high school. And so I lived a different life outside of school than I did at work. At work, I was the youngest, and there were all these 20-somethings. And so, you know, I would spend my summers serving burgers at the yacht club pool and watching people bring their boats in and out and having this great time and really envying that. But I couldn't be a part of that world. And so... I instead would have my fun later, and we would go party and drink and experiment with drugs, and um, we, there were just some very dark times, but they were very hidden in my life. Um, but every Sunday, I would still attend church with them and feel like at least I have this little bit of safe place on Sundays. And I remember that my worlds were so different that when there was an instance in high school where one of these guys that I worked with um, drugged a lot of girls, and there were some date, I experienced a date rape situation there. 
I remember I couldn't tell anybody because I knew that if I told somebody that that had happened to me, all of this good that had happened at school where I was getting scholarships to college and um, just the facade I had built at school would crumble because then everybody would know what I was doing on the weekends. And um, so when I did go to college, I went to the University of Texas. I decided I'm done with this double life. I'm gonna try to have one life and be you know, a good person, which that didn't really register to me. What is a good person per se? But I decided I'm gonna stop partying, I'm gonna stop drinking, I'm gonna focus on school, and I'm gonna try to go to church because I think church has something to do with this good life that people have. And so I was not a typical churchgoer at the time. I had a hot pink um, pixie haircut, like really hot pink. And um, I wore Nirvana t-shirts or <laughs> sometimes barely t-shirts. And you guys remember those Jinko jeans, like the really big that look like a dress? I would wear those and like platform shoes and walk up into these churches. So it was, I think, a culture shock <laughs> for a lot of people. Even though I went in to Texas. UT. Yeah, in yeah. Texas, you know, very conservative. <laughs> UT is pretty liberal, but it was, you know, a different look. And I remember just feeling like, Oh, I'm here at this church, I'm seeking God, I want something of God. And feeling like people just kinda were scared of me or like thought I was volatile or something. And the thing that like pushed me away from wanting to ever go to church again was this one experience where this uh, church event for college students was promoted really big all over campus. And now UT is a campus of 68,000 students, so it's huge. And um, they promoted this thing like crazy, and I wanted to make sure that I got to go. So I got there super early. I sat right in the middle of this huge auditorium. I'd watched all these different people pour in to attend this event. And, and there were people standing in the aisles and sitting in the back, and the two seats next to me were empty on either side. And I just remember feeling like I must not be in the right place. Like this is not where I'm supposed to be. So I gave up. I stopped going to church. I decided, you know, my mom must have been right. Like God is just all about hypocrisy and I'm not gonna go to church anymore. But I was so lonely. When all you've ever known is how to meet people at parties, it's really hard in a huge college campus to know how to make friends. So I basically just focused on school until one day, um, I was sitting on the campus bus and this girl was sitting in the front row and I noticed her because she had a hoodie over her head and she kept like falling asleep, you know, and so I kept noticing her like nod off <laughs> in the front. And she was my orient orientation advisor, so the girl who gave me a campus tour through college and she was so funny and she was really just happy and outgoing and welcoming to all of us and so I thought like if I'm going to have a friend, I want a friend like her. And so for weeks, I watched her on the bus because she rode the bus with me week after week after week. And I finally, after about six weeks, got up the courage to go say hello, which was really hard for me because I came from an all-white community. Um, we did not have a lot of racial diversity where I was from. And so I felt like if I were to meet anybody different from me, I'm going to sound stupid. Like I'm going to just say something really dumb and stutter on my words and offend her. And my friend Sabrina Marie, is, she's African-American. And so I had no idea, how am I going to walk up to her? I've got this hot pink hair and this crazy, you know, clothes. She was a business student, so she was very put together and like wore blazers and stuff. So 
I did. I just walked up to her, and I still don't know where that ambition came from. It just absolutely had to have been from God because it doesn't make any sense now that I look back on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just said, hey, you, you were my orientation advisor, and you were great, and I just want to say thank you. And that's all I said. But in that moment, she decided to do something that changed my life forever. She decided to talk to me. She decided instead of brushing me off and just saying thank you, she introduced herself to me and told me about what she was doing in school and asked me to have lunch with her. And um, so I did. So I had lunch with her. And she invited me to her Bible study. She had a campus Bible study. So I was like, great. This is, <laughs> this is the angle, right? Like, but it really wasn't. You know, week after week went by, and she would call me to study, to meet at the library, to have lunch, to hang out with her friends. Um, and every time she left, she would always say, just want to remind you, got that Bible study, and I want you to come. And so really, to get her off my back, I went to the Bible study. I was like, fine, I'll go to your Bible study. I'm not going to like it. I even told her that. <laughs> I'm not going to like it, but that's okay. But I did. I did like it. And the difference was it wasn't just people going to sit in a room together or, you know, whatever. They were there to help each other know the Word. And they were in the Bible, and they asked me if I wanted to be in the Bible. And um, they showed me the truth from Scripture, not just things I'd heard, all this hearsay over the course of my life. They showed me, like, in the, in the Scripture what's true. And that was life-changing for me. Corey, that's how you, is that how you met him? Was through that Bible mm-hmm. study? Okay. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. So my whole life I had had a lot of boyfriends and been very promiscuous. And so when I became a Christian um, in, uh, through this Bible study and because of my friend Sabrina Marie taking that time with me, I had decided like, I'm not going to date boys anymore. College, <laughs> nope. I'm going to like just do this good Christian life and try to figure that out. And then about a month later, this tall, handsome guy comes into our Bible study, and he is six foot four, and he had shoulder length, like luscious, curly locks. And, um, Was it split down the middle? Yeah. So That's legit yeah. right there. That's yeah. awesome. Or sometimes he'd wear like a really big bandana and like big headphones. And <laughs> so cute. Um, so I, I saw him and thought, that is a temptation, and I'm not going to look, you know. Um, and so, you know, we became friends, and he came to know the Lord through this Bible study as well, which his story is, I won't share it now, but it's amazing as well, and God's hand was so walking through that. But um, we became friends for quite a while. We took some classes together, and he really wanted to pursue dating me, and I was not into it. And I remember one time he... Um, came to my job. I worked as a makeup consultant at the mall, and he just showed up in the middle of my shift and said, I'd really like to have lunch with you. And I said, brother, I really feel like you need to make some friends with some of the men in our ministry before you make friends with me. <laughs> and he was so upset. Wow. But, um, and I was so holy and pious. You yeah. Know? Um, you showed him. Yeah. Yeah, I showed him. <laughs> but, you know, I it's all funny to look back on and think about, but I do know, like, if any one of these things had been different, my life would not be where it is, mm-hmm. you know? If, if the McLeans, the family in school, had chosen to ignore me or brush me off, if Sabrina Marie had just said thank you and walked on her way, 
is my friend Jonathan, who met Corey randomly on campus um, and decided to invest in him. If any of those people had said no to that prompting, to that voice you know, that said, I want you to pursue these people, um, my life would be so different. I think I would have fallen right into the same path everyone in my family has fallen into. Every woman in my family has had multiple divorces, was a teen mom, um, and you know, they struggle a lot and they don't know the Lord. And I just think it, it has changed the way I look at other people, I think, when I look back on my story because I see how blind we can be, how blind I can be to the people mm-hmm. in my path. Um, and what if, what if one of them had said no to God? Mm-hmm. Like, where would I be? I think that's the part of everybody's story is that there's these people along the way that took the time, went out on the ledge to ask us to be a part of a Bible study, or as simple as they just welcomed us. They mm-hmm. treated us like family. Or, And I know every single person here at, at some point in their life, life has had these same people, like the McLeans or like the girl on the bus, Sabrina, is that, mm-hmm. her, is that her name? Um, that have stepped out of their comfort zone to love you, to open the door for you. Um, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend. Um, and I, I, I think kind of the, 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 the point of all this is that those people changed the direction of her life. Um, and if you would have, I mean, if the McLeans were up here right now or Sabrina was up here right now, they would have thought that was just a, a random, insignificant, maybe, um, action of theirs, but yet it made an impact. And we encounter people every, every day, every week in our lives that we may treat or receive or love or whatever, and we see no direct fruit from. Um, mm-hmm. But everything with your story, like there's, there was no direct fruit from any of those situations. It just took time and it took the Spirit of God to woo you um, to the Father's heart and begin to have, I mean, ultimately he had his hand on your life through the dark um, and into the light. Um, so as we kind of march out of this and we march into where we're going today with the triumphal entry with Jesus, like I, I want you to, to see what maybe isn't always seen. That's what a blind spot is. It's what you can't see. You're in a car. What's your blind spot? It's the, it's the space that you can't see. It's what your mirrors or your neck can't attain that, that spot. That's a blind spot. It's what you can't see. And I think there's so many people in our lives that we, we don't see. Not that we can't see, but we don't see. Um, or we see them as they're there to give me something. Like the barista. They're there solely to give me my coffee. Or the gas station attendant. Or your coworker, Or your boss. Or your child. Or your spouse. They're there for some other reason other than to be incredibly impacted and loved and received and welcomed. And, and I guess the invitation, the intro of this is the, is the invitation for you in your life to, to see Jen, to see the people in your life that um, you see, but maybe not truly see. Um, see for who they are, um, to receive, welcome, and, and, and potentially the grace of God and the, and the Spirit of God changed their life. So, good. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, let's pray.
um, for her, she's a mother of five, and she's still trying to uh, influence these five lives um, in her own family, as well as many other people. Um, and so not just praying for her, but honestly, I want you to ponder right now, um, before we go any further, who, who is in your life um, that you need to see? Who this week needs to be next to you next week? Who needs to be here Friday? Who needs to be here on Easter Sunday? Um, to go out of your comfort zone like Sabrina um, or the McLeans. Okay? So let's pray. God, I thank you for um, people like the McLeans, and I thank you for people like Sabrina that just, it was normal to them. It was just another uh, simple act of friendship and love and what they're supposed to be doing, but yet it changed Jen's life. It began to make sense of the pain and the, um, the difficulties that she's faced. It began to redeem those moments of darkness. It began to heal um, her heart and her mind and remind her that she ultimately is received, that she is ultimately accepted. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting her. Um, Holy Spirit, for wooing her. Father receiving her. God, I just, I pray for the, um, not just Jen and the, the way that she's trying to impact her family, but for these people this morning as we go, before we go any further, just that you would give them the boldness to not be blind. That they would see what they maybe not normally see. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to work and to move this week that we would see the fruit that we would see you move and commit ourselves in this moment to speak to see we want no blind spot this week and God we'll just we'll give you the praise and the glory and honor in your name we pray amen Awesome. Would you give it up for Jen? Can you hear me well? This is red, so I don't know if it's running out of batteries or what. Um, okay, Luke chapter 19. We got 27 minutes. Let's roll. Uh, it's an exciting week. It is a... Uh, thank you, guys. It's the beginning of Holy Week, is what we call it, what we're used to. Some significant events happening, not just on the calendar, but what represent this week. Uh, Good Friday, uh, Easter, next Sunday. Hopefully that you, hoping that you will be here. At both of those, and hoping that um, you will bring some people. Um, today is Palm Sunday, uh, Passion Sunday. It's the day that we are going to dive into the triumphal entry of Jesus. And so it's a simple story, um, a story that maybe you are familiar with. And so today I want to kind of walk through that with you um, and point out just the theme of blind spot. 
Um, we're going to pick up in chapter 19 of Luke and verse 28. It says, And when he had said these things, and went on ahead, going to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was like it is now. It's the center. It is the, 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 the capital. It's the, uh, not the capital more, but it's the center of all Jewish culture. It was the center of everything that was happening in Israel. When he drew, new, drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied, which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying this colt? You should say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. Verse 33. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground, on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Verse 31, and when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. If you only knew what would bring you peace and what's taking place on this day, but now these things are hidden from your eyes. They're blind to you. You can't see them anymore. You can't understand what's happening. Verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you, hem you on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, the, we're taking, obviously, a break from Acts here for just a couple weeks. But it, you're holding the Bible in your hands, and you have, uh, in the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are books. You can see them with your eyes right now. You can pinch them together. You can hold them there. That, those are what's called the Gospels. Uh, step back for a moment. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These are men. These were men that the Holy Spirit inspired the, their accounts of different stories, of different events that happened, and not just Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, but even so much beyond that and in between that. Of each account, some are different. If, 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 uh, if you saw an event and there was three other people 
at the event with you, and I specifically went up to each one of them and said, tell me about the event, there would be a general truth of what they, the four of you saw. But you would see it from four different perspectives. Do you understand that? And so that's essentially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they wrote their account based on what they saw, what was circulating in the tradition, what was happening, what was seen, etc., etc., etc. They're all from four different perspectives, four different backgrounds, four different professions. Um, they each have like a, a different, like diving into of a perspective. For example, um, if uh, it was me and Tim and Katie and um, Joe were at this event, you would see, we would explain the event to you, the accounts to you, in four completely different perspectives. Um, maybe at the event, there had something to do with a tree. And so Tim's going to see it different than I'm going to see it. Because that's, like, it's a part of his perspective. Luke, for example, was a doctor. And so the account of Luke, book of Luke that you're holding, and the reason I'm saying this is I want you to understand the different accounts of the triumphal entry. He's a doctor, so he's giving a lot more details. And so that's why we're parked here. He's seeing it from a different perspective. Matthew, it's a little bit lengthier as well. He's a Jew, so he's giving a lot of Jewish perspectives and Jewish traditions and Jewish details of the account. Four different accounts, same event. You with me? Okay. Why is it significant? Because when Jesus rode into this town, into this city, riding on a donkey, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of different perspectives. They were affected in thousands of different ways. They were all yelling maybe thousands of different things. And so I want you to see that this is, this, these accounts aren't just stories. This is the reality of what took place. Now, um, there, there's some, some things I want to break down before we go any further. And I want you to understand. Um, the triumphal entry. If you're not familiar with the word, and hopefully that made sense a little bit with regarding the, the four Gospels and those four and that shed their account. Um, during this time, um, the Ro it was the time of the Roman Empire. It was spreading to the entire world. Um, with that empire was technology. And their technology were, were roads. Their technology were the things that you and I would take for absolute granted. But their rule meant their power. So, if you know the history of Israel, you know that they've been through many battles. And they were victorious. And they were victors in battle after battle after battle after battle. If you read the Old Testament, it's unreal. The, like, they know military. And even to this day, their military is one of the best in the world, for especially small as they are. But in this moment, in this, this, like, day, this week, they were at a spot where they were on their knees as a nation. They were under the rule and the reign of the Roman Empire. And they had come to town. They had come to the country. They had come to Jerusalem to establish reign, to establish that they are in charge. Now, the way that they pay for this is through the taxes. The way that they enforce this is through military and through army. Now, it's believed that in this, perhaps even this day, 
I don't know, this is, this is outside of the word, but according to historical records, that even this day or in this time period or perhaps that week, what had happened on that day was that there was a huge parade of the Roman military as they paraded through the streets with their big horses, big chariots, big army, like all of the armor that they could, they could wear and promote. I mean, it, it's no different than, than different countries that do this now. Like they're promoting how powerful they are. And the person that is governing specifically Jerusalem, specifically this region, was Pontius Pilate. And it was a show of strength, a show of military power that he is in charge. Could it be later that day that Jesus came riding in on the triumphal entry on a donkey? So, Jesus tells his disciples, go get this colt. Go get this donkey. This isn't uh, like you're picturing like the, an American donkey. It's a, it's a little bit different. Over there, and what this would have been, this would have been a small donkey. Like, smaller than that. Legs, smaller. And so it would have looked kind of funny that Jesus was riding on this donkey. So Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but yet he's riding on a donkey. But did you hear, or did you see anybody laugh? Did you see anybody poke fun or think this was insignificant? No, because in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, this was a prophecy that was being fulfilled that day. That here he comes, riding, O daughter of Zion, riding into Zion, riding into Jerusalem as the king, riding on a donkey. So he was fulfilling a prophecy. So for the Jews that day, this was the moment of truth. This was the moment for their parade. Think about this. Let me, let me make this a little, more, a little more personal. It'd be like, as, as, as patriotic as we are, and as much as we love our country, it'd be like, I was going to say Canada, but that's not realistic. It'd be like Russia um, taking over our country and establishing rule and reign in every city, in every town, but specifically Jamestown. And they come parading down Main Street. They're powerful tanks. They're powerful soldiers. They, like, they are completely in charge. They are making a point. That's what's happened here. In fact, where they established, like just geography, where they established their headquarters, the Romans' uh, headquarters, was across the street from the temple. Now, this is Passover time. This is where Jews from all around the world had come to Jerusalem. And so the place was bustling. And this is a Sunday, so Sabbath was on Saturday. And so Sabbath with, for them wasn't just a day off. It was a cultural, cultural gift. It was a commandment. It was something that they expressed that everything shuts down. Like there weren't those rogue businesses that were like, we're open on Saturdays. We're open. Like none of that. That didn't happen. And so everything is shut down. So the day after the Sabbath, in general, things were bustling anyways. And there were so many people in Jerusalem because of the Passover. And everything was happening. But here was the, here's what the talk was. 
The, the talk around the city was what had happened previous of this. Not just with, if you go back in chapter 19, not just with the parables that Jesus is teaching, not just with Jesus and Zacchaeus, not just with the blind beggar, not just with on and on and on. But the biggest thing that they had discussed in the other accounts was probably this, that he had just raised a guy named Lazarus from the dead. All right, this guy, he's teaching about eternal life. He's saying all these things. He's healing people. Like, like he's making the blind see. Like, he's making the lame walk. He's loving, and he's receiving, and he's welcoming, and he's powerful in his words. You could just feel, like, I know. But then, like, he rose a guy from the dead. Lazarus was dead. He was in the tomb. He was wrapped. He was dead, and he was risen from the dead by Jesus saying, hey, rise from the dead. Come forward out of there. So that's what the conversation was. And so for the Jews, it wasn't like they, they were just like happened to be like in the marketplace and here comes a guy riding a donkey and, and what's about to take place happened. There were so many connections. I, you hear about this guy? Like, Jesus, you hear about him from Galilee? He's a prophet. Like, his teachers, so he raised the guy from the dead? Like, they knew exactly what was happening. So, um, why is it called Palm Sunday? Why is it called Palm Sunday? Because they went and they cut off what was a custom. So we had this carpet right here in the middle of, of the room. Rolls out um, the pathway that you go. Um, you've heard of the phrase, roll out the red carpet. You know what that means. Not, not even necessarily that it needs to be red carpet. It's a figure of speech saying that you literally made a path for the honored, the famous, the whatever. Does that make sense? And so back then, what they would do, their, their parade after the championship, so to speak, their parade after a military win, is they would literally take branches off the trees, and they would come to the city, and they would line the streets, and they would shake them. And it was a sign of victory. It was a sign that we have won. It was a sign that everything's okay. Literally. That, you know what these palm branches are actually called? They're called hosannas. And so when Jesus came riding on a donkey, riding through Main Street in Jerusalem, and they were putting palm branches down, and they're waving palm branches, and they're yelling, Hosanna. They're not just saying a word that you're maybe not familiar with or I'm not familiar with. They're literally declaring, Victory! We've won! Here comes our king. This is truly the guy that's in charge. This truly is our king. They're doing that for Jesus. Now, blind spot, a blind spot is something that you don't see. It's something you don't see. Do you think perhaps... There was something that those people didn't see. Like, they were celebrating and they were praising Jesus, right? 
Like they had come. They had cut the branches, and they're waving, victory! Here comes our king. Yes, King Jesus, right? He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Like they got it. They're like all in. They, this, is, this is a celebratory moment. And us now looking back, like it doesn't just look like the most fickle moment in the history of mankind because a few days later, though, that same crowd is gathering in front of Jesus and they're chanting, instead of Hosanna, here comes our king, they're chanting, crucify him, kill him. We'd rather have that murderer be released and Jesus killed than anything. This is what we want. Crucify this Jesus. That was the most fickle thing in history. The, why were they yelling Hosanna? Why were they yelling victory? They had the biggest blind spot that you can imagine. They were oppressed as a nation. They were looking for Messiah, yes. They were looking for their king, yes. But they weren't looking for Jesus and all he was. They were looking for what they thought Jesus represented. What did they want? Did they want a military leader? Absolutely. Finally, this guy is here, and somehow, someway, through his supernatural powers, he is going to defeat the Roman army. Finally. Maybe some, they gathered, and they're yelling victory because they're declaring, all right, finally, a guy that we can get behind a political leader that we can stand behind, that we can believe in, and we can stand behind Jesus and all that he is proclaiming, and we can shut the Romans down. Shut the Romans down. Like, they're hyped about it. For them, it's political. For them, it's about the military. It's not about their soul. Jesus drew near to the city in verse 41. And he wept over it. Guys, why did he weep over it? Because they were blind to see who Jesus was. They were seeing Jesus for what something he wasn't. And, and not all of them. I'm sure that there were some there that day, including his disciples, when they're shouting Hosanna. They fully grasped, they fully understood that he isn't just a military or political leader. He is the Savior. He is our friend. He is the King of kings. He is the Son of God. I'm not saying everybody missed it, but I think what had happened was the blind spot for them was they saw Jesus for what he wasn't. And that, I think, is the reason why Jesus wept over the city. As Jesus is riding this donkey down into the city, he sees the people, and he sees them celebrating. But they're celebrating for something that's circumstantial. They're celebrating things that are temporal. They're missing. Their blind spot is what is eternal. They're missing the point. And that made Jesus weep. They thought that Jesus came to conquer the Romans. Finally, the Israelites are free again. And there's a history of this, and a beautiful history that God uses, and God um, 
um, preserves and God uh, protects in his sovereign hand and his sovereign will even historically, even to this day, for the nation of Israel. But they thought it was temporal. They thought this was about Israel. And this was about their heart. This was about their soul. This was about their salvation. This was about them being healed. This wasn't about political or military purposes. But that's for them, that's what it was. That all they saw was a temporal. When God sees the eternal. I, I, I know like I'm, I'm sharing a lot about like uh, the historical perspective or the literal perspective of what happened that day. But, but you're a crowd and I'm, I'm in the crowd and we're no different. We know, I mean, we, we've seen what Jesus can do. But yet, we walk in and our minds and our hearts are filled with the temporal. When Jesus has come to change the eternal. I mean, think about this. What was your worries this week? What was your concerns this week? What were your prayers? Guilty. What were your prayers this week? God, help me to feel better. God, help me to sleep good. God, help my leg to move. God, help my car to start. Amen. God, help my mom. Help my child. We bring all of these temp. God, help my president. God, help my country. You're not going to find many more patriotic people than me, but I, we're missing the point. I think the biggest blind spot we have in our modern day, even as Christians in the American church, our biggest blind spot is that it's political. Here he comes! Finally, we got a guy! Oh, she's going to fix it. He's going to fix it. Oh, if we just vote, if we just had prayer back in school, we'd be set, Beaver. We'd be we'd be okay. If as long as he's a Christian, I mean, as long we got to we got to take America back for Jesus. And sometimes I feel like those prayers, not that they're insignificant, not that we shouldn't pray for our president, not that we shouldn't pray for the, the, the little things, that, the, the, the big things in our lives that consume our mind, that are circumstantial, not that we shouldn't pray about those things. But Jesus, echo, and when he speaks back to us in prayer, I feel like sometimes the message is, you're missing the point. You're blind to the big picture. You're praying for healing, but I'm desiring for ultimate healing. You're asking me to get you out of this situation, and I want to offer to you a situation that gets you out of eternal punishment. I want to offer you a situation where you can help that person over there, and all you're worried about is your circumstantial stuff, like going right around you. We're blind. That's our blind spot. We think... 
Like, if we just had that job, if we just had that raise, if I just had that relationship, if this was just fixed, if my, if my body worked the way that it was supposed to work, if, if, this, if I just had that thing, then everything's going to be just fine. God can do that. God can touch that. God can heal that. He's not saying, don't come to me with that. Don't, don't come here with that. He's not doing that. But he wants something better. Jesus was weeping over the city because here's a guy that's coming to bring something better than military oppression removed. Something better than a political leadership that's going to get their country in the right spot. He was bringing to them forgiveness. Forgiveness. They saw a man that was going to get them out of the circumstantial junk that they're in. Jesus, he didn't have a blind spot. He was seeing each and every one of you in the crowd. And he was bringing to you forgiveness and hope and redemption salvation, eternal life, abundant life, a guilty conscience removed, restoration, mercy, grace. There's this, this account in the Jewish tradition of, of a, a prophet who saw a young man in, uh, in a great city and he was, he was riding a donkey, and this prophecy was that he was passing out crowns to every person. I mean, he's just passing through in, the, in, this, in this, this tradition. He was passing through, and he's handing a crown to you. It's like Oprah, like, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. Like, everybody gets a, everybody gets a crown in this, in this prophecy. And it was said that this this prophecy, this person on the donkey was the Son of God handing crowns. What are these crowns? Guilt removed. Full forgiveness. True redemption. Hope. Eternal hope. Salvation he came to bring something better. He came to bring something. In fact, uh, even, okay, let's, let's go past the Jewish, uh, or the, the, the current circumstance situation. Like, finally, we will, I mean, these Romans, they were unbelievable. You know what they would do? They would come into a village, and to show the power of the Roman Empire and the Roman soldiers, they would kill men, women, and children. And they would put them, their bodies on a stake. And they would line the road heading into the city. And they leave them there. For all time. So that when you came into the city, you would not forget who is in charge. They had a tight grip. And so I'm, I'm not belittling, I'm not saying like that situation for the, these... These, these people in Jerusalem, like that was just, nah, it's a minor issue. That's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. And, and Jesus, in 
the temple growing up, teaching the law, teaching the Old Testament, teaching the, 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 the fact that God created us. He has redeemed us and set us to a place where we can be forgiven. We're looking for the Messiah as Jesus is teaching and he's revealing that he is the Messiah. At the end of Main Street in Jerusalem, the Romans' central hub on the right, the temple on the left, finally they're like, all right, cool, here he comes. He's going to straighten that temple out. Yes, victory, he's here. Here comes our king. He's going to straighten this church out. We're going to get this church straightened up. And Jesus' response to that, I mean, literally after that, he cleanses the temple. He, like, kicks them out. And he actually says, I'm going to destroy that place. I'm going to rebuild it in three days, which is crazy. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy it and rebuild it. And he's saying to every soul that's there, whether you're a Roman soldier or whether you're a young Jewish boy or whether you're a, a Pharisee on the top balcony plotting to kill this man that's in just five days, plotting to kill the man, riding on the donkey, looking down and seeing everyone praise him. Even they missed it. But Jesus says, I'm going to destroy all of that and I'm going to destroy all of that. Why? Because I am more than just the victory. I am more than Hosanna. I am God. I am the king who's come to save you. And I'm giving you forgiveness and I'm giving you hope and I'm giving you everything that you truly, truly need. The blind spot in your life, the blind spot in my life, the people around us, we can't skip over them. And we can't just see their immediate circumstantial need. We have to lean in that they would receive not just temporal hope, to lean in and receive eternal hope. Guys, come on. It's like, a, like this week is a lob. Bring him here. We'll tell him all about Jesus. We'll tell him all about the good news. We want you to live it out. We want you to be able to share it. That's the ultimate, that's the ultimate goal. But this week is a lob. Do not miss Friday. Do not miss Sunday. Why? Because it's all about coming to church and putting your butt in the pew? No! Because we got something to celebrate. Like, I'm cutting the branches. I'm cutting the hosannas. I'm cutting the victories. And I'm waving it, and I'm laying it down, and I'm saying, victory is ours. Victory is here. I sent a text to the staff this morning and joked about, joked to Quint about singing Hosanna. I'm like, we better be singing Hosanna today. Um, and then I joked saying we should also sing hymn number 432. Um, and that was a no and a no. It was kind of a joke. But then this song that we sang, the second to last song about victory, are you kidding me? That was the triumphal moment. Guys, this wasn't just a triumphal moment for Jesus. In fact, he's riding through the city weeping because they're blind to see it. This was a triumphal moment for humanity. May we not miss it. May, maybe you just started coming to church. We're so happy that you're here, honestly. But don't think that just coming to a building once a week, it's going to fix everything. It's not. And don't just think because 
this person's in office or that job came through or that paycheck is happening or this raise happened or, or that person said they're sorry or this thing. Don't think that just because that happened that everything's okay. The ultimate thing that Jesus is desiring for you is for you to see him. He sees you. He sees the broken. He sees the people that even think they got it together and they're, they're celebrating victory when they have no idea what victory is. Victory is Jesus. The Hosannas, that's Jesus. And so for the Jewish people, when they see the wind going through the palm trees, because again, this time of year for them is like us. There's no leaves on the trees. So the only things on the trees were the palm branches. So when they hear that, and they see that, victory! Hosannas! Do you hear the hosannas? Victory has come. Here's the triumphal entry. And yes, five days from now, Jesus will be crucified. Five days from now, Jesus will be betrayed. He'll be denied. He'll be doubted. He'll be abandoned. He'll be beaten. He'll be spit on. He'll be slaughtered. Why? for your sin and my sin for their sin make no mistake about it if you are blind if your blind spot was Jesus before today make no mistake about it Jesus' blind spot has never been you he's always seen and maybe today for you it's a moment to say I see Jesus not as a means to make my life just better and circumstantially things are going to be up from here but may you see Jesus today as your savior as your forgiver as your healer would you stand with me so you're here today and you're like I'm all in I'm I, I don't really understand it all but what I do know is I need, I need forgiveness. I need hope. I need salvation. I need redemption. I need, I need this thing you're talking about, Pastor Corey. Like, I need that. I want to invite you to receive that. Because he's coming. He's coming down the line. And your palm branches of victory are there. And he's coming with the crown. He's coming with the gift for salvation. He's coming with himself. May you see Jesus as Jesus. May you see him as a man, fully God. May you see him as God, the fully man. May you see him this week, not just crucified, but risen. So for you today, and this is your moment to begin that to receive that, it looks like this. It looks like you right now closing your eyes. It looks like you in full faith praying to God. Through the Holy Spirit, which is God's Spirit, about His Son Jesus and what He did to you, did for you. And if your eyes are closed, you need to receive that gift. If you need to receive that, would you just say, 
Dear God, I know you came. I know you died for me. I ask you to come into my life, come into my heart, come into my everything, and I ask for my sin. I recognize that you're the Savior. I ask you to save me. And I wave my branches, so to speak, of victory in the name of Jesus. I begin this life of following you. I'm not fully sure what it looks like, but all I know is I need you. 